This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A warm welcome to First Move this Thursday, as always, and another busy news hour on the show ahead, including... The dam disaster, Ukraine's President Zelensky touring flood-ravaged parts of southern Ukraine where at least three people have died. Emergency evacuations are ongoing. Rescuers are also threatened by continued shelling. Plus, an appalling knife attack in southeast France. Six people, including children, have been injured, some seriously. We'll bring you the latest details on that. And a growing health emergency, smoke from Canadian wildfires still blanketing the northeast of the United States. 75 million people now suffering from poor air quality. Some businesses also advising staff to work from home. Take a look at that sky. Is this all part of our globally warmed future? It's a fitting question to ask on World Oceans Day. Our waters provide half of the world's oxygen. How can we protect them so that they can continue to protect us? We'll be discussing. In the meantime, stock market futures, little changed on a still very hazy, as you could see there, Wall Street after Wednesday's pullback. Interest rate hikes remain a key theme with unexpected moves. That's hikes from the Bank of Canada and Australia this week. The Federal Reserve, of course, is up next week too. And in the meantime, over in Europe, a technical recession for the Eurozone with data showing two straight quarters of slightly negative growth. It does look to be a shallow recession for now, to be sure. But coming in the face of high inflation is an ongoing conundrum for the European Central Bank. And Beijing also trying to emerge from its recent period of slow growth. Reports say a number of state-owned banks cut their deposit rates today to help jumpstart lending, so to push money out into the real economy. That could signal future stimulus measures from the central government too. Asian markets were closing mixed on the day, but modest gains, as you can see there, for the Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng. So... As always, plenty to get to through the next hour, but we do begin with the latest from Ukraine. And the Ukrainian commander says at least 600 square kilometers of the Kherson region is underwater following that collapse of a vital dam on Tuesday. Ukraine and Russia are still accusing each other of shooting at rescue teams working in flooded areas. And humanitarian groups saying landmines set adrift and floating in the water are another huge threat to safety. Fred Plytkin is in the city of Zaporizhia for us. Fred, clearly hazardous conditions for those that live there. Also, as we're saying, hazardous conditions for those that are trying to provide respite and, and provide help and support in the rescue efforts. 
Well, you're absolutely right. It definitely is very hazardous for, for all of those people, for the people who are still stranded in their houses, for the people in the city of Kherson, but also in general uh, in that area, and of course uh, also for the people who are trying to get everybody out. In fact, yesterday uh, we were on the water with uh, one of those rescue teams, and they told us that they face shelling pretty regularly out there. And one of the things that we've heard today is that there was apparently shelling near one of the places where uh, people were being evacuated. So that is, of course, something that's extremely dangerous. You have those rescuers often coming on those uh, areas with boats, trying to get people out of their houses, trying to get people's animals uh, out of the houses as well. They're moving very slowly. They don't really have much in the way of protection, and they're just generally on the water. So any sort of shelling that takes place there is something that obviously is extremely dangerous. Uh, I want to get to those mines as well, because that's something that the authorities down there told us when we were in the Kherson is a big, big issue. Was mines that were laid, obviously, between the two sides, between Russia and Ukraine, and then when the flooding came, were just simply swept downstream and now are big hazard in those areas, uh, coastal areas that are underwater. So that's something that the authorities there told us again and again to be very mindful of, is that some of those landmines that were buried once on land may have moved. Uh, all of that, of course, as these rescue operations, Julia, are going on. The Ukrainian authorities are saying that um, on their side of things, more than 2,000 homes are still underwater. At the same time, they also say that the zone that was actually flooded, the majority of that is actually on the Russian side. At the same time, you still have that water gushing through the destroyed Karhovka Dam and hydroelectric electric plants. So certainly this is a situation that is ongoing and that is going to continue to be ongoing. Uh, certainly over the next couple of days, the most recent that we heard from the local authorities there is they believe the water is going to peak at some point, you know, probably today, and then take at least five days to recede. And of course, after that, you will still have the massive aftermath that needs to be cleaned up in a very, very dangerous situation to begin with, Julia. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you next, actually. Do we know when, when peak set to hit? It's still going to be... Um, tough weeks and days to come. Fred, thank you for that. Fred Plank in there. Okay, to France now, where at least six people have been injured in a knife attack. Four children are among the victims. It happened at a park in the city of Annecy. Police have arrested one person, but have not yet released his name or a motive. Melissa Bell joins us now from Paris. Melissa, I think most importantly, have we had any more information about those that were injured, including, as I mentioned, children? Uh, children, very young children, Julia, uh, this is what's uh, shocked France the most, I think, at this stage as the country starts to come to terms with the horrific scenes uh, that unfolded in this park in southwestern France on the edge of a lake, well-known beauty spot that would have been full of children, people out enjoying the hot weather at about 9.45 a.m. local time this morning when this man went on the rampage. And there is some amateur footage that has now emerged, Julia, that we're not showing just because it is far too troubling to watch in particular, because what you seem to see is this suspect, this young man, and we're expecting more on the details of who he is in a moment since the press conference is about to be held, uh, uh, who uh, very deliberately goes around the park pushing adults out of the way to stab uh, these children, and we're talking here about preschool-aged children, very young children, two and three years old. What we know for the time being is that there are uh, six people in all uh, who were uh, severely wounded, and a few of them are now said to be between life and death. This is extremely uh, traumatic for France. This is a part of the world where you simply don't get, because of the gun laws, uh, uh, attacks that tend to target children. The last time 
anything like this happen here in France. You'd have to go back to 2012. Mohamed Meras kicking off that terrorist wave had gone on the rampage in southern France, killing several children at a Jewish, Jewish school. So it's been more than 10 years since France has lived through anything quite as traumatic in terms of attacks on small children. However, Judy, I think I should add that for the time being, uh, the anti-terror investigators have not been seized. There is no suggestion this is part of a wider terror plot. Uh, we wait to hear more about the man's motives, who he is, why he acted in the way that he did. But for now, anti-terror investigators are uh, not seized, but keeping an eye, uh, but not seized. And the French prime minister is headed down to the scene. We're expecting, as I say, a, pr a conference, press conference in a moment to hear more about uh, who the suspect is and why he may have acted in the particularly frenzied and brutal way that he did this morning here in France. Julia. Thanks, Melissa. And the moment we get further details on that, we will bring them to our viewers. Uh, in the meantime, our hearts and thoughts with, with everyone involved. Okay, let's move on. The Eurozone is officially in recession, but it's a shallow one. Growth for the 20 nations that use the Euro currency, known as the Eurozone, has been revised. It fell 0.1% in the first quarter, following a similar drop in the final quarter of 2022. Anna Stewart joins me now, and that's all that's needed for the claim of a technical recession. We always talk about this, Anna. It's backward-looking data. The question is, what happens next? And, of course, you can answer this question better than most. What happens for the European Central? bank still in an inflation fight well exactly i don't think this changes anything when it mm. comes to the ecb i also don't think this data was surprising given just two weeks ago we we're talking about germany falling into a technical recession as well the data does show that consumption is taking a hit right across the eurozone that is a result of higher inflation but also i think those interest rates which of course have a bit of a, a sort of lagged impact really on consumption so there is a risk here that you could see this recession deepen it won't change anything for the ECB. Time and time again, ECB President Christine Lagarde has made exceptionally clear that inflation is currently the top priority. We are expecting another hike next week, uh, 25 basis points expected, and there's likely to be another one before uh, the end of the year as well. And when we look, when we look at inflation, we, we can see how high it is, and there's just that risk of it getting sticky. I also counter anyone saying that maybe they should row back on the rate hikes by saying that this recession is barely a recession, currently minus 0.1 percent. The labour market is strong. And also, Julia, if you strip out Ireland from all this, there actually isn't a recession at all. Ireland contracted by over 4% in the first quarter. You may remember last year, it grew by over 12%. All those multinationals that have set up base in Ireland, thanks to its low corporate tax rate, really distort both the figure for Ireland, but also for the Eurozone. So there's also that argument in there as well. Julia? Wow. Just remind me again, Ireland, did you say down 4%? contracted by over 4% in the first quarter, but expanded by over 12% last year. So that's yes. some distortion. Context is key. I think that's <laughs> the message there. OK, perfect. Anna Stewart there. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. We're back right after this. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. 
All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome back to First Move. Millions of people across the U.S. and Canada are being told to stay inside or wear masks as noxious smoke engulfs much of the eastern seaboard. This time lapse that I'm showing you shows the fumes blanketing New York City over a three hour period on Wednesday. The skyline vanishing behind the orange haze by 2 p.m. That smoke is coming from wildfires in Canada, where more than 400 are now raging across the country. President Biden also spoke to his Canadian counterpart yesterday, so that was Wednesday, and offered additional support. Let's bring in Chief Climate Correspondent Bill Weir, who's in Brooklyn, in New York, and wearing appropriate face masks and masking, Bill, at this moment. I don't know how to describe what happened yesterday. It was otherworldly. It felt like the end of days. The sky literally turned orange. It was so bizarre, wasn't it, Julia? Yeah, yeah the, the, it's so dark in Central Park that the streetlights came on in the yes. middle of the day. Of course, grounding airplanes at LaGuardia and canceling baseball games. It was, it's something that East Coasters, even hard-bitten New Yorkers, I think assume that is, that's, a, that's the price of living out west. That's the price of living in California among the grapevines in the mountains. But now uh, we're seeing more and more on our overheating planet that you can't escape this sort of thing. These are over 100 wildfires out of control up in Quebec. In a normal year, there might be a dozen going, but just that dry May, that heat dome desiccated the boreal forests up there, turning those pine cones into kindling. And now we're breathing the results of it. New study shows that 60% of the wildfire smoke pollution that American breathes these days comes from another state where it's, the trees are burning far away. So this is one that seems to be sort of an anomaly because of the way the wind held it close to the ground for so long. Now it's headed down to Philly and towards Washington. Uh, and those folks will have the same advisors. I just, I put on a mask after talking to a pulmonary specialist yesterday and who describes that the PM 2.5, that's the, the very tiny particulate matter that comes out of wildfires is 10 times more hazarded hazardous than the toxic pollution that comes out of your tailpipe, for example. Wow. Uh, so a new lesson for East Coasters to start thinking about smoke in different ways. But of course, this is really common in the big cities across Asia, uh, India in particular. And as a result there, uh, the lifespan is nine years shorter uh, just because of air. And that it's sort of the invisible hazard that we, that we sort of don't think about as much. Wow. 
Bill, there was so much in there. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned India. What it reminded me of actually was uh, traveling in China. I think it's probably 2015 where we saw it at the peak and they recognized they had a huge problem in cities like Beijing and they they did what they could to tackle it and, and reduced it. I mean, this is this is astonishing. I guess that the big question I have for you now is, to your point about climate change, is this what we have to expect and look forward to if we carry on in the vein and the vein that we're we're doing so at this moment and not doing more to try and protect the planet? I think just common sense tells us that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can look at the UN projections that wildfires will go up by 15 percent by 2030 and maybe 35 percent by 2050. That really doesn't you know, click with us emotionally on the idea that trees burning 500 miles away in Quebec, now you have to worry about with your children as you're getting them out the door and deciding, you know, how am I going to get a mask on this kid? Uh, lost work days, asthma attacks. Yeah, this is, these are things, these are the costs of inaction and the costs of not doing anything as this get worse. Uh, you know, you can't do the math that the numbers are just too big. Yeah, one planet. And um, if this doesn't, um make people think and think harder about taking action, then I don't think anything will. Um, Bill, stay safe out there, please. Keep that mask on. And thank you very much for joining us. Bill, we're in Brooklyn there. Okay, now keep your eyes on the skies, but for a different reason, because we're talking about sun protection. And in Monte Carlo, in Monaco, entrepreneurs are squaring up for what organizers call the ultimate competition for business leaders. The countdown is now on for who will be crowned the EY Entrepreneur of the Year. And we've got just a few more hours to wait. And one of those contenders, the team behind Suncare brand Supergoop. It won the US title with their philosophy of getting the whole family to wear sunscreen every single day. This is not just about summer. And it would crown a busy past year for the brand as they expand into 16 new EU markets through retailer Sephora. Supergoop sold $250 million worth of products in 2022. And I'm pleased to say Supergoop's founder, Holly Thagard, joins us now from Monaco. Holly, fantastic to have you on the show. Let's just take a step back and explain how you came up with the idea, not just of sunscreens that people actually want to use versus avoid, but the importance of doing this all year round. Yeah, Julia, well, thanks for having me. As you can see, the weather is beautiful here in Monaco today. <laughs> I've been on this Supergoop journey for over 18 years to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen, and it happened really after a good friend of mine was diagnosed with skin cancer, and my college roommate was going through a residency, and she said, Holly, it's not about beaches and bikinis. It's about that every single day, little bit of exposure that's cumulative. And for most people, it doesn't turn into cancer until much later in life. But for your friend, it happened at a young age. I looked at the industry. It was incredibly sleepy. There was no innovation in product. And I literally started to dream about SPF and thinking about unique ways to get it into everyone, everywhere's every single day routine. To your point, wearing it every single day. But there... Maybe the mindset's changed now, but I think, and you've said it, what you found was the greatest resistance to people wearing it was that it feels icky, that it smells weird. And, and you tried to design and have designed a whole set of products that sort of get around some of the reasons and excuses people find for not wearing um, sun protection. 
That's right. And I mean, there's no one right size fits all SPF. Our skin is very different. It's different at age 10 than 40. It's different. Um, it's different in Hong Kong as it is in New York City, and there's different climates to think about, too. Um, and what's right on Sunday isn't necessarily right on Monday because we all do different things, right? We wear different shoes on every day of the week depending on what we're going to do. So when we think about SPF and innovation in this category, we're really thinking about every which way we can we can kind of sneak the SPF and that broad spectrum UV protection into a formula and then give it additional benefits like vitamin C, which helps with hyperpigmentation or deliver it in what I think men mostly say they have a hard time putting on lotions. And so like unseen sunscreen, which is just has a cult following is completely weightless, scentless, textureless. And, and so we're really thinking about SPF a different way and creating a new category. And along the way, we're deseasonalizing an industry that 18 years ago was incredibly summer driven and beaches driven. Mm. Yeah, and also that's good for business too because if people are thinking about this all year round, it makes your business less cyclical as well. Um, we're just showing an advert for um, Unseen Screen, which I, I have to full dis fully disclose, I use this, um, and I think the product's great. Um, I believe an Unseen Screen is sold once every 14 seconds, or at least was in, in 2022. So talk to me about growth. Talk to me about the EU expansion drive that you're on right now. and. You've had some help for some, from some pretty um, impressive investors, Holly, that you've attracted along the way too. We do. We, we do. Our capital partners at, um, at Blackstone have really been helpful. And SPF is regulated and thought of differently from country to country. So expanding is not necessarily um, an easy thing to do in this category. And so we launched Sephora Europe in 16 countries. Um, I've been spending a lot of the year in Paris and getting my team, we have a small office of six or seven there now, and uh, getting that off the ground and, and really remembering that the foundation of Supergoop is in education. And so we have to start with why SPF and why SPF every single day. And then, you know, we have the trust from the consumer having built this for over almost two decades and they rely and come to Supergoop knowing that they're gonna get the protection that they need from, from our brand. Yeah, it's funny, an overnight success that's taken you 18 years to build. We should always remember that when we're, when we're celebrating <laughs> entrepreneurs like this at this moment. Um, what about profitability, Holly? How is that conversation had within um, the company, but also with your investors? Yes, I, our, I appreciate you're in growth mode, but yes. We are in growth mode, but we are very profitable. We're scaling very fast, which is nice. And even though we do have JP Morgan behind us with a floating revolver that should we need to lean into that, we're scaling so fast and we're growing so fast um, and we're profitable. So we're really, you know, we have a positive cash flow. Uh, you were so eager to tell me that, actually. <laughs> we were talking over each other, but profitability is vitally important, particularly at this moment in time. So um, nice work on that, too. We were just showing a banner that said you had 65% sales Thank growth. You. Is that sustainable? What kind of growth are you expecting sort of this year, particularly given how um, quickly you're expanding? In 2023 or 2024? Yeah. We work several years ahead, ahead in our planning. Um, yeah, so in 2023, we're looking at another increase in 60% in, uh, maybe? 
Wow. So 2024, we're working on our next three years now. So, but we have a long way to go in changing the way the world. We have a lot of, a lot of growth with um, our current retailers, even if we weren't going to open another door across the world. So with the support of our retail partners and then Blackstone's given us the resources that we need to in order to get through regulatory and continue. We'll be expanding into the Middle East this Q4. So I'm going to Dubai. I'm super excited about that. Um, and I think that, you know, as we do this and as we grow the global market, which is another reason I'm so excited to be here with EY, and they've been incredibly hospitable this week. And it's just been so inspiring to hear how everyone wants to change the world in their own category. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to save it for my final question about who you think is going to win and whether, whether you expect to take it. But um, what's been the hardest challenge? Because you're clearly incredibly optimistic, growth happening, you've attracted great investment. Holly, what was the hardest moment? And for those that out there that are watching this that want to be an entrepreneur, ours and perhaps are struggling, what's your advice? You know, I'm just a, I'm an internal optimist. And so I think that the struggles for me along the way have been only credit to the fact that we're on to something really big. So I get very excited when we have to pivot and turn and find another way. And I know that this is all part of the journey. So I don't look at the challenges as really anything negative. I just look at them as like we're doing something really great or otherwise someone else would have done it already. So I get really excited about challenges and and. Uh, and I think for future entrepreneurs or inspiring entrepreneurs, we really have to think about grit and you have to be so passionate about your idea and make sure that your idea is authentic and you're transparent about your reason for being and that it, it's mm. something new and different. Um, the world has plenty of, of you know, don't, don't give it more of the same, think of things differently and then make sure that you literally can't sleep at night and that's gonna be testament to the grit, which is, you know, nine times out of 10, how everything gets solved. If you just, as I say to my team all of the time, can't stop, won't stop. Sleep's overrated. It might not be politically correct to say that as a boss. Now, I've got a challenge for you, Holly. My, my producer, Chris, is saying to me, why are men so useless with sunscreen? What percent of men and women of your clients? And can you answer that question? <laughs> Yes, of course. And I think the men that have found our brand have found it through the women in their life. Yeah. Um, as a marketer, you know, we have to, um, timing is everything. And honestly, to this point, we haven't really marketed to men in this world. Yeah. The men that have found us have found us through the women in their life. But I think that's a really good. When you have such a huge category, you have to stay laser focused on your audience. There's just not enough marketing dollars to spread to everyone everywhere. So you have to really think about it in chunks of time. And, and to this to the, to, to, up until today, we've really been talking to women and, and, uh, and young women um, through our school program, Ounce by Ounce, we of course reach children in the classroom. We have a giving program that puts free super goop into any school classroom in America that wants it. We're going to continue expanding that because we do believe that we have to teach this healthy habit at a young age. Yeah, and, and educate young boys as well so that we sort of take any form of stigma out of it. Just whack on the sunscreen and protect yourself. Holly, fingers crossed that you end up the global winner. We'll find out in a few hours time. So um, thoughts are with you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us and good luck. Holly Thagard there, founder of Sunscreen Brand. Super Thank you, Group. Julia. Thank you. We'll speak again soon. More First Move after this.
Welcome back to First Move. And let me give you another look at New York City's skyline. We are bracing for another day of poor air quality here due to the ongoing Canadian wildfire emergency. The skies around the city taking on a Martian dystopian hue on Wednesday. And as for today's Wall Street trading view, well, not a lot of hullabaloo. A quiet start to the session after Wednesday's pullback. Look at that, completely unchanged. It was actually the worst session for tech stocks in more than a month, but they've been doing incredibly well. Tech investors perhaps not nervously watching rising bond yields. That said, and context is key, the S&P 500 remains near nine-month highs and actually not that far away from closing in on bull market territory once again. That's a 20% rise from recent lows. Look, you can see that in the chart there. Now, as we've been discussing, this week's surprise interest rate hikes in both Canada and Australia, highlighting the continued challenges facing central banks as they battle stubbornly high inflation. It's also a risky period for Fed Chair Jerome Powell and the U.S. Central Bank ahead of that important policy meeting next week. Decisions, decisions, even if Powell hits pause on interest rate hikes this time around, the Fed will surely hint that its work on the inflation front will continue. As we discussed earlier, the ECB also holding a policy meeting next week, too. Now, IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva has been speaking at the Astana International Forum in Kazakhstan about the path of inflation and the way central banks need to respond. And Richard Quest is there for us too. Richard, welcome. The good news is inflation's coming down. The bad news is not quickly enough. And the IMF chief saying, hold the line. Yes, you see, what everybody's focusing on is headline inflation when you had numbers of 10, 11%, which are now down to much more moderate 5, 6%. But as Kristalina uh, Gergeva has pointed out, it really is all about core inflation. And that is, to use that phrase you'll be well familiar with, that is sticky. It's now become embedded in the global economy in different countries. The wage cycle has now or is now on an upward spiral. People wanting more wages, prices going up, manufacturing costing more, etc., etc. So when I sat down with the MD of the of the fund, I needed to know whether she believed sticky inflation was going to lead to even higher rates. I believe the, we are at a point when uh, central banks are looking at data and uh, uh, likely for some of them to pulse. But let me be very clear, until it is irreversibly a process of bringing inflation to target, central banks cannot let go. So they can't let go, and really, as you're familiar, the test is going to be when is low, low enough. 4%, 3.5%, 3%. When are they going to give up the ghost? So before you ask, and whether you were going to ask or not, I'll tell you regardless. What <laughs> is the expo? It's a sort of... I, I, I haven't quite discovered what's in it, but it's the expo building with a shopping mall around it. Kazakhstan, I mean Astana, which is in sort of in Kazakhstan, the capital, flat land as far as you can see. And I mean seriously flat land as far as you can see <laughs> and a very warm temperature. A balmy temperature. I was going to suggest it was your crystal ball, Richard, so you could tell the future. It looks like a giant crystal <laughs> ball. 
Not that you need one, of course. Um, well, go on. No, I was going to get, get the vibes, the vibes. No, I'll just get <laughs> the vibes from it. It's an extraordinary building. In fact, the architecture in this city is quite remarkable, one way from the former president, who seemed to have a thing for sort of building buildings in unusual shapes that cost a great deal of money. Kazakhstan is very much a country in transition, uh-huh. but as we'll talk about tonight on Crest Means Business, plug, 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 as we'll talk about tonight, the country landlocked, and on one side you have the bear of Russia, on the other side you have the dragon of China, strategic neutrality is what they're all about. Yes. And Richard, who's coming up on the show later? Am I allowed to um, am I allowed to ask? More opportunity to tease, tease, tease. You're going to hear from Jose Manuel Barroso uh, of Goldman Sachs. And, of course, uh, he'll be giving us a, a view, the former EC president, on exactly where the strengths and weaknesses are in the system. The EBRD, who are lending money left, right and centre about Ukraine. And the deputy foreign minister of, of Kazakhstan, because Kazakhstan is this, this, this neutrality, but at the same time is not supporting Russia and there is a constant fear that Russia could turn its uh, attentions to crossing the border. You really feel it here. You absolutely feel a tension, a geopolitical tension of neutrality. But don't get it wrong or it'll all come crashing down. Yeah, a delicate diplomatic dance. Fascinating time to be there. Fascinating yeah, place in general. Richard, cannot wait for that. We'll be, uh, we'll be checking out the show later on. For now, I'll let you go and prep because that's... Um, that's a lot of work to do. <laughs> Enjoy the weather. Crystal ball time. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. OK, and it's been a challenging week, too, for two of the leading cryptocurrency exchanges, Coinbase and Binance. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filing suit against both firms for violating numerous federal laws. The CEO of crypto exchange Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, is defending his firm's dealings with the government. He says the case against Coinbase will ultimately be good for the crypto community. He spoke with Alma Egan. We started to see conflicting statements from the CFTC chair and the SEC chair. We tried to engage with the SEC. We tried to come in and register. We tried to we actually we acquired a broker dealer license. It's still dormant. They, they, we haven't been able to get it activated. We even formally petitioned the SEC for clarity about, around a bunch of rules. And unfortunately, we were just met with silence. We never got any feedback from them. We never found a path to register. And so. When they came in and shared with us that they believe every asset in crypto is a security other than Bitcoin, you know, it kind of made the decision easy. We have to go to court to go challenge this because that's not what the law says. Um, and also, if that were to be the case, it would mean sort of the end of the crypto industry in the U.S. And so we, we feel like this is an opportunity for us to uh, avail ourselves of the court to get some case law created um, that finally starts to bring regulatory clarity since the SEC is not providing it. So you wanted to get sued? No, but we, our first choice would be just to have the regulator publish a clear rulebook. You know, that's, that's how it's supposed to work. They publish the rules and we all follow them. But if they're not doing that, um, you know, then the court is the next best option to go get some clarity. And the other big option we have, by the way, is Congress. You know, Congress, I think, generally is aligned now that there needs to be more clear regulation in the U.S. around crypto to protect consumers, but also preserve the innovation potential. And there, we've already seen, for instance, Europe has passed comprehensive legislation. The U.K. is moving there. You know, Singapore is moving there. Hong Kong. Basically, the U.S. is falling behind. And I think Congress recognizes this. We just saw, for instance, a draft bill come out last week from McHenry and Thompson that starts to clarify this role between the CFTC and the SEC. So 
I think we'll get clarity one way or another. It's going to be the courts. It could be the, the con Congress passing new legislation, or it could be, you know, uh, 2024 elections. Something changes there that we finally get to that in the U.S. That was the CEO of crypto exchange Coinbase speaking to our Matt Egan. Okay, coming up on First Move, if I told you they produce around half of the oxygen we breathe and remove a third of the carbon dioxide we create, would you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the world's oceans. We discuss next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome back to First Move. It's Thursday, 8th of June, and that also means it's World Ocean Day. Now, around the world, our waters provide home to most of the Earth's biodiversity, provide the main source of protein for more than a billion people, and will provide employment to 40 million people in ocean-based industries by 2030. That's according to the United Nations. And yet, they're also fragile. 90% of big fish populations are depleted and half of our coral reefs have been destroyed. We need to do more to protect them. So I sat down with the Wildlife Conservation Society's new president and CEO, Monganuka Medina, on the beach at New York's Coney Island earlier this week. And I asked her what World Ocean Day should mean to all of us. It's an important day for us to take stock of how we're doing and caring for this incredible resource that we have. It's more than 70% of the planet mm -hmm. and we need to take care of it. People think it's so big, how could it fail? We can't afford to lose our oceans. They're a source of food for billions of people around the world. They're a source of, uh, of commerce and businesses and jobs. jobs. Uh, and, and so we need our ocean now more than ever before and we have to conserve it. Do you know what blew me away with the statistics on this? It provides 50% of our oxygen. It takes away a third of the carbon dioxide that humans create. Huge carbon sink. If you, yeah, if you didn't know this before, you should know this because yes. I think we talk about sustainability. We're talking more, thank goodness, about biodiversity. Yes. We do not talk about our oceans enough. And, and you said to me ahead of this conversation, they're vast, but they're fragile. It's so important that we do better to protect them. It's critical right now. We're in this decisive decade for conservation and it, we know if we don't act, we'll lose more coral reefs. We've already lost half the coral reefs on the planet in the last 50 years. We know we need to conserve our ocean spaces, which is why we're working hard here in New York to conserve an incredible place 
not far off the coast here called Hudson Canyon. It's the end of the mouth of the Hudson River. All that water that comes out of the Hudson shoots out into the ocean and goes all the way to the edge of where the coastal area breaks off and goes into the deep sea. And right there, we want to conserve that space. Why isn't it protected now? I've been whale spotting or trying to yes. on dolphins because you protect them too. Yes. Why is it not protected now? You know, we just don't think of the ocean as a place to put a park, but it's yeah. exactly where we need them. And in fact, there is a, a treaty that is about to be voted on at the UN that would protect areas in the high seas that belong to no country, which has never been done before. It's so very important. And the Hudson Canyon is a, a crucial part of the New York seascape. And you can log on to our website and sign a petition to help persuade the U.S. government to protect this incredible place with deep water corals and whales and all kinds of species of fish. It's an amazing place. It's seven uh, Empire State Buildings deep. It's a real canyon. Seven Empire State it Buildings deep. huge and an important area for us to conserve right now while we can. Talk about some of the other projects that you're doing because you do run the aquarium which we are yes. here and uh, seeing today but also some of the parks the zoos as well so it's not just about the water but talk about some of the water projects that you have going on in what near 60 different countries all over the world we work in 60 countries all over the world as you said nearly 60 and we are uh, working hard to preserve coral reefs in many of those places to work with fishing communities with women who often are sort of the backbone of fishing communities where we know that there are illegal fishers out there that are taking from coastal waters of, of poorer countries. So we're working on ending that. We, we have so many programs to help build up barriers along coastlines. You know, here in New York, one of the most important ways that we can protect ourselves from storms is through replanting oyster reefs, which there's a huge project working on that as well. So our, our mission is to both protect out there in the wild and to educate people here in New York City and people who come from all over the world to New York City to visit our aquarium here because it's full of information about why there's such an important connection between what we do on land and what happens in the ocean. Plastic pollution. Oh my goodness, we just had the head of the UN Executive Pro Environment, right, Environment Program, Program. Talking, talking about this specifically. And she was saying to us that right now we're on track to reduce plastic pollution in the oceans by around 8% by 2040. 8%. Their mission is 10 times that. We as individuals can do more, surely. I mean, clearly there's vested interest in the plastic sector of the world. There's going to be pressure the other way. We as individuals can do more too. We absolutely can. There are 21,000 pieces of plastic in the ocean for every person on this planet, and that's 8 billion people. So it's trillions of pieces of plastic in the ocean. That means it's getting into our food chain, and that means it's in us, right. which is why this UN agreement is so important. But there are things people can do every day. They can buy uh, those reusable water bottles and bring those around. We know people need water, it's getting hotter, but you can carry around a, a reusable water bottle, or you can buy laundry detergent in paper cartons as opposed to in plastic tubs. We don't have to get rid of every modern convenience. We know plastic is, is sort of miraculous for the things it can do, but that's Just also think. what makes it hard yeah. for us to get rid of it in the environment. So if we think about using plastic for the things we really need it and not for those single-use 
uses, things like plastic carry bags and uh, plastic water bottles. If we can replace those, we'll go a long way towards solving the plastic pollution crisis. I'm sure our viewers will be able to hear the, the noise of the wind. <laughs> it's so beautiful it's here. It's a lovely day. Something that people need to think about when they start using the beaches, as we're seeing now as the summer months come as well. One of the questions that I think was important to ask you is, why is it hazy? You know, it's amazing. People think that the environment is a local issue, but yeah. it is a global issue. Right now, there are massive fires happening in Canada. Seems like that's pretty far from us here in New York City, but the winds and the way that the currents, the air currents go, we're getting an awful lot of the residual smoke from those fires. And you can see it's made the sky here a little gray and cloudy. And in countries around the world where they don't have sufficient pollution controls, this is what this is it. This is what it looks like. And we know, we know after COVID, when we all stopped driving, how much cleaner the air looked and felt to us. And we can see the difference on a day like today. The importance to me of this moment too is that we're one world, we're all connected. And the impact that we have in one country filters around Absolutely. the world. It's an argument for us all to work together the on this. The ocean is the thing that connects everyone on the planet. There's not many oceans. There's really only one yes. ocean. That's what scientists would tell you. And it connects everyone on the planet. Yeah. Final message about the importance of World Oceans Day, not just on one day a year, but, but also every day and also to educate our young. I looked and saw that you had summer camps, although I don't think I quite make the, uh, the, age, <laughs> the, the age range, but we have to teach our young about the importance of our oceans too. We do, and, and you know, I think people love the ocean, so it's not hard to motivate them. We just need to help them know how and to, and to appreciate that if we don't take care of it, we won't have that oxygen to breathe. We won't have fish yeah. to eat. We won't have beautiful, clean beaches to swim in. And it is easy to do things yourself, but we also need to remind our governments to take action. That's why that UN agreement yeah. on high seas areas is so important. That's why that UN agreement on plastics is so important. And why working together, I think we can solve these problems. We just have to put our minds to it. Final quick pitch, money. This <laughs> takes money and it this does. takes resources. What can people do to help you specifically? If you want to help us out, just go to WCS.org and check out all the work that we do. And if you have a dollar to spare or 10 or 20, please drop us uh, a donation. We will make good use of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, visit the aquarium because it was a great day out. I loved it. Um, Okay, just ahead here on First Move. South Florida football fans are in for a treat. A superstar, Lionel Messi, announces his next move. More on that next. Welcome back to First Move and some Miami magic. Yes, there are some excited football fans in Florida today with news that Lionel Messi is coming to town. The Argentinian superstar, considered by many to be the best player in the history of the game, is set to sign for David Beckham's club, Inter Miami. World Sports' Patrick Snell joins us now to discuss. Patrick, welcome to the show. It's a mm moment, the three mm. M's. He didn't take the money by going to Saudi. He didn't go for the memories with Barcelona. 
He chose Miami. Why? <laughs> Miami, nice. I tell you what,、uh, Julia, this is an incredible story. I don't think too many saw this one coming. You know, my mind has been reflecting on the great Pele when he came to America in the 1970s and played for the New York Cosmos. David Beckham himself in 2007, going to the LA Galaxy as well. This is perfect timing as well. Massive feel-good factor now over here in the United States. The men's World Cup. Is going to be here in 2026, along with Canada and Mexico as well. And then, how about this?、Um, when the news was announced, Julia, into Miami's Instagram account, going from one million followers to five million followers in the space of 24 hours alone. I think that tells its own story. You know, he wasn't meant to be doing this. Supposedly, those in the know were indicating he was off to maybe back to Barcelona, where he had all that success earlier in his career, or maybe off to Saudi Arabia to join Cristiano Ronaldo in the Saudi Pro League. It did not happen, and now Major League Soccer has one massive coup on its hands. This is just massive news. Let's retrace our steps and hear how Messi himself broke the news to Spanish media on Wednesday. Watch and listen.、Uh, I made the decision that I am going to Miami. I still haven't closed it 100. I'm missing some things, but we decided to continue my journey there. This is a man. This is an icon, Julia, who rarely, rarely speaks in public. I'm telling you. So when he does, we hang on his every word. Just quickly to reset for our viewers what he's achieved in the game, because it is very, very substantial. He's still, by the way, on the contract, just officially at least, to Paris Saint-Germain. This is not yet. This is not yet a done deal to Inter Miami. I will say, career-defining moment for him late last year when he wins the World Cup for the first time and a storied career. Julia, as I mentioned earlier, with Barcelona, 34 trophies in total during his time there,、uh, seven Ballon d'Ors during a magnificent career, and of course it still continues, and of course four Champions Leagues as well. What a story! I can't believe we're having this conversation today. <laughs> He's got nothing left to prove. I mean, he could go where he likes, but I. It's very exciting, I can say, living on the, this side of the world. I'm very excited, but I have to say, Patrick, I do love your voice. I mean, I love listening to you anchoring, but even if it weren't that exciting, just listening to you talk about it gets me really excited. Oh, well, I'm very blessed. Thank you so much. So, fingers crossed this works because I'm very happy for、um, Floridians、we'll、at this moment.、Lovely. Great to、Thank、chat you so to you.、Much. Thank you, Patrick's now there. Okay, that's it for the show. We're all excited now. If you missed any of our interviews today, they will be on my Twitter and Instagram pages. As always, you can search for at jchatterleycnn. In the meantime, Connect the World is up next, and I'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on Sleep Number limited edition Smart Beds for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.